The views, ideas, and content of well seekers and their guests are their own opinions, and you should always seek additional professional help around any of the issues discussed here on Well Seekers. Hello, and welcome to Well Seekers, where we are helping you rise and come back to a mind and life that you'll love. My name is Lucia, and I am so honored to be here and to continue this series on rising and coming back from addiction. If you've been with us, this is part four of our six-part series, and we've just had such incredible conversations. If you are part of our family here and you've been with us for a while, you know we're all about stories and solutions at Well Seekers. I believe stories shatter shame. We're going to talk about that a little bit in just a moment. And our guest this week is going to talk about that a lot. Um, Her name is Wendy Adamson. Wendy is an author and she wrote a book called Motherload, a memoir of addiction, gun violence, and finding a life of purpose. It's about Wendy's addiction, but it's also about her early recovery and her recovery in general. And life as a mom. I wanted to specifically do this show because I know we have a lot of um, females who are listening, a lot of women that are listening, a lot of moms that are listening. And this book, as a female, I'm not even a mom. It really spoke to me as a as a woman. I have friends that are moms in recovery, um, and there's a lot of shame around that. This, this book spoke to them as well. Um, I've suggested it to a few people. So Wendy's going to come on and, and talk about her personal story and this book. So excited for that conversation. If you've missed our past shows, though, I would like to just give a plug to go back and listen to it when we plan these series. We really look at it from a holistic point of view, how we can help guide you on your pathway through this challenge. We've gotten emails, some people listening, they have loved ones that um, are suffering from addiction and they want to know too, from a holistic approach, how to help them rise and come back and how to take care of themselves. So I really encourage you to go back and listen to our other shows. We talked about new and innovative treatment approaches. We talked about um, ways to care for yourself and the ones that you love in relationship and family through addiction and through recovery. Um, And we also talked about the power of nutrition in recovery from addiction. So absolutely, um, we'll put links below so you can go back and visit those shows if you missed them. The thing that came up when I was planning this show, and one of the things that I'm fascinated by as both a storyteller, which is my background, and as a licensed mental health professional, is the impact storytelling has on shattering shame. If you know me, you know that I also like research, um, and I like going back and looking at research um, that's been done. One thing that I found was there was not a lot of research, so maybe I will be doing this as I move forward in my own career, on storytelling and, and shame. We do know that when you hear someone's story, right, it it makes us more, I know this from a personal point of view, it makes us more open to acknowledging and accepting our own story, right? Brene Brown, obviously, huge in the world of shame, talking about shame resilience theory, which is basically saying that shame causes people to feel trapped, powerless, isolated. And um, what Brene suggests is that shame can trigger, right? All of these different things. Um, But there is a way to break free from your shame. Let's talk about the four steps that she talks about. One is recognizing the personal vulnerability that led you to feeling shame. Two is recognizing the external factors that led to the feelings of shame. Three is connecting with others to receive and offer empathy. 
And four is discussing and deconstructing the feelings of shame themselves. So that's how Brene, who is obviously one of the um, one of the main researchers in the world of shame, talks about how to come out on the other side to break free from your shame. When I read those, the one thing that came to mind was storytelling, being open, personal vulnerability, right? Looking at when you're telling your story, all the things that contributed to the shame, connecting with others to receive and offer empathy, and then discussing and deconstructing those feelings, right? What better, more powerful way to do that than through our stories? That is why I believe, and not just because I'm a storyteller, that stories are a huge piece of the shame puzzle and getting rid of shame, getting rid of stigma. Addiction is one of those big, big topics that still carries a lot of shame, a lot of stigma, even in 2021. So it is so important, especially I feel as a woman, um, again, especially for moms that I know that do struggle from addiction and who are also in recovery. That's the other thing that I've always found interesting in my own journey is people so often are even scared to say they're in recovery from addiction. That's why books like Wendy's um, Motherload are so important, why having these conversations are so important. And I'm just so excited to dive into it, to have you hear someone's story, um, hopefully have you relate to some of this story to see that you're not alone. And I'm just so excited if you are holding or carrying shame to have this conversation that hopefully helps you. So we are going to be right back with Wendy Adamson. She is the author of Motherload, a memoir of addiction, gun violence, and finding a life purpose. She also, full disclosure, is a friend of mine. I adore Wendy. She just holds such a special place in my heart for such a special time in my life. So I encourage you to stick around and to also share this conversation so we can continue shattering shame and stigma. We'll be right back with Wendy Adamson on Well Secrets. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast to coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own. That's pretty awesome. Get the best user experience on mobile at PulseCellular.com. You're listening to Wellseekers, a show where the journey is just as important as the destination. Welcome back to Wellseekers. We are joined by my guest, Wendy Adamson. Wendy is a friend for many years. <laughs> um, she also has over 20 years of experience as a seasoned professional in the field of mental health and substance abuse. She not only has vast knowledge of addiction, but as a sober woman, a deep understanding of the recovery process as well. Wendy is a published author, the articles in HuffPo, Singular Magazine, and TheFix.com. Wendy's memoir, Motherload, which we're gonna be talking about a lot today, shares her own struggle of hitting rock bottom, which led to her ultimate recovery. Um, Wendy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me, Lucia. It's so good to see you. I know. Before we started recording, we were saying, that I, I don't think I've seen you since 2000. We've tried a couple times when I was in Los Angeles, but 2006? Yeah. 
2006, yeah. probably. That's I was five. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, <I'm> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I, I was 16. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> long, long time ago. Long time ago. Wendy, we're doing a series on addiction. And I thought of you immediately for two reasons. And both mentioned in your introduction. One, because I know you have experience as a professional in substance use disorders and um, recovery and, and work with addiction. And then secondly, because of your book, Motherload. Right. I want to talk about both aspects of it. The thing that struck me the most is having known Wendy for all these years. I've heard your story before, right? But when I read it, there was just something about the way you described your experience with addiction, that the toll and the impact that it took not only on your life, but the life of your children, right? Your marriage, and then even going backwards and seeing more about where you came from, right? Your experience growing up. For some reason, and if anyone listening or watching has someone that they love that struggles with addiction or maybe past or currently, right? Or they struggle as well. This is, I'm not just saying this because I know Wendy, it's a must read because I have heard stories for decades now and it literally like a bullseye just touched upon every aspect of what addiction does to a person and their family. So thank you for writing it first of all and sharing your story. What did make you decide I'm finally going to put this on paper? Um, I had um, a revelation, if you will, that my story could help a lot of um, not just um, people dealing with addiction, but mothers who have struggled and made mistakes in parenting. It could help kids that had uh, are still struggling to forgive their parents. It could, you know, I wanted to show the power of um the healing that can happen as a result of recovery. Obviously, there's a ripple effect from addiction, but there's also a ripple effect from recovery. And I was very committed and remain committed to healing the um, relationships with my children and now my grandchildren who've never seen me high or drink. So I had this revelation, you could, this story could help women that are incarcerated, that could help um, girls in juvenile hall, you know, because that's where I go in the book. You know, I end up once again in jail and I'm like, you know, when I was there, I could never get my hands on a book that I could relate to. You know, I was reading whatever, I, you know, Stephen King book I could get or whatever, the rise and fall of the third Reich, you know, because you don't have access and I had no role models growing up as a kid so a lot of times I struggled it as you know the book is very vulnerable very real and it's a hard topic to write about making mistakes with your children you know and I didn't I come from a background of secrecy, you know, which was some of the problem. Um, working in the field of mental health and specifically with teens right now, I know the impact the generational trauma can have on kids. And it's like, um, you know, it's like through a, a web of family loyalties, like via secrets, um, 
secrets that were too heavy for me to bear, I started using drugs. You know, when I first started talking about my mother and writing it, specifically writing about it in this book, it was like breaking an emotional contract or change that I had with a chain that I had with my family. Um, I was speaking what the parents couldn't speak because they too suffered from trauma. I should explain my mother was schizophrenic. My father was alcoholic. You know, my mother killed herself when I was seven. We didn't discuss that. It was it was a secret. Everything with mental illness uh, back when I was growing up was not talked about. There's too much stigma around it. So we didn't talk about it. But um, I started talking about it, you know, and uh, it was like breaking free from, you know, the assigned or unconsciously... Um, with the parents' injury that was placed on me and um, healing ancestral trauma and changing the trajectory of my life and therefore affecting my kids' life, my grandkids, and hopefully, you know, so on. I think that you, well, you summed up most of the aspects, right? Intergenerational trauma is often not talked about. It's obviously just taken into the next generation, right? And oftentimes repeated. There's something that you described. There's a part in the book where you're talking, Wendy, about um, being at home, right? And um, I've heard you, again, say this verbally. You've told this story. But when the way that it's written, you have to read this book. I want to hear you tell our audience. So, but that point where um, you have your two young children sleeping, right? Ricky and Jerry are sleeping. Your husband's out. You have um, someone come that sells you some drugs, right? Or gives you, she did, you were selling drugs. There was a drug transaction of sorts, right? Yeah. Well, here, I'll tell it. Yeah. Please. Um, <laughs> so there's um, a line that stood out <laughs> to me. Uh, oh, there's a few lines that stand out, but I, it's 1991, 91, mm-hmm. yeah, May 17, 91. And um, I had been doing meth, you know, and um, we, my husband, at the time was scoring for people he would go score drugs to get our little cut from uh whatever he scored and um at the at the time i was waiting for my my older son was asleep two blocks away jerry was sleeping at a friend's house ricky was asleep in the house and it like occurred to me he's cheating on me and it you know kind of hit me like um you know a two by four on the head it was like he, you know, why hadn't I seen it sooner? Because he was gone for so long with this girl. She was 24, cute, you know, and um, I, you know, had what is a, a classic textbook psychotic break with the meth. And um, so what's also significant, my mother at 38, when she killed herself, I said I would never, ever be like her. And saying never was like giving the universe exact coordinates to where I would later land because I was 38. I had a psychotic break. I grabbed a gun. I ran outside with the gun. And uh, when they got back from scoring the meth and I shot at the car mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I don't know what line you're referring to, but I started running down the street in this little neighborhood with the gun chasing them. And they had 
turned the corner and pulled over, I fired another round and ended up shooting the girl in the arm, the other, the other woman. And um, so, you know, my best thinkings told me, go change your clothes so the cops won't recognize you. If you have to stand in a, in a, in a lineup, you know, if you put on some different clothes, nobody will be able to identify you. You know, that's, you know, that was my thinking. And um, so, well, needless to say, um, I never did stand in a lineup, but the cops did come and, and haul me away. And that is where the book starts, is like the unraveling, the leveling of life, ex, you know, experience that he, there I was, 38, same age as, as my mother, you know, great, you know, had lost her mind, you know, but once you lose your mind, how do you get it back? Mm -hmm. How do you get it back? Once you lose your children, how do you get them back? You know, and so it's, you know, of course I wanted it to happen immediately, but I, I ended up getting a year in the county jail. And during that year, a lot happened, not only outside in the free world, but inside me. You know, because I was, um, I was, you know, pretty much locked up inside before I ever ended up in jail. You know, I was, I was locked down in secrecy, you know, and um, could not talk about the things that had happened as a kid. I couldn't talk about my mother's schizophrenic breaks and her suicidal attempts, you know, and, and as a you know, when you have a schizophrenic mother that is trying to constantly try to kill herself, as a kid, you can get in the way, you know. Mm -hmm. And specifically when she turned on all the gas in the house try, after an argument with my dad, my dad stormed off to the bar. She turned on all the gas and the kids were in the house. The fire department later came and dragged us out onto the front lawn, you know. So, um so there I was, you know, pretty much living my mother's life, you know. Um, she had been in Camarillo State Hospital when I was a kid before she killed herself. Many times she was there. I would end up many times in Camarillo State Hospital. I was unconsciously living her life. You know, there's a, a quote that Young, um, uh, that I love, until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. I thought it was my fate. I thought it was the cards I had been dealt. I thought I had no way out of this, this life that I was living, this life of addiction. But in the county jail, um, things, you know, I had t obviously had time to think. You know, I obviously had huge regrets, mm. you know, and I started to think about, like, what am I going to do with my life? And at the time, at the time, I, you know, I, the only language I spoke was victimese, you know, <laughs> it was like, it was my mother's fault. It was my father's fault. Now it's my, my husband's fault. Mm. That's this, this, these are the reasons. And you too would use drugs or drink like I do if you had, you know. So I told myself, these are the way, this was the, the construct of my belief system that I protected. It was the scaffolding that held my addiction in place. Mm. 
It gave me the reason, the reason to continue to use. It was my, you know, get out of, get out of life free card, you know. Um, but, you know, when you're leveled to such a place like I was and when you've hurt people and you wake up and you wake up and you go, something's got to change here, you know. Uh, the common denominator is me. I'm the common denominator in all of this. So um, that thus began my journey back to, I mean, journey, not even back, but journey that the book talks about. And it is a process, right, to accept responsibility of where you are at, right? And also acknowledge that there was trauma from the past, too. And what is that process like to go through and work through your trauma while accepting responsibility for addiction, right? And that work. The, the other thing that, that I want our listeners, right, because we, we have a lot of female listeners that are moms, right? And that really struck me about the book, too. In that section, you were describing two things. One, the line where someone tries to intervene and you tell them that it's a domestic dispute and they should not intervene, right? Because in your mind, you did think that, right? Like, this is just this is between me and Max, my husband, right? Like, this is, yeah. yeah. And the other thing is that you were a mom going to Little League, right? Like showing up as a mom, but also struggling with addiction. And that is something that is common now, having both roles. It's not that you do level your life to the point where you have nobody in it sometimes. It's that you're a mom and you are struggling with addiction. Well, you know, I mean, um, Mother's Little Helper, you know, was like the Rolling Stones sang about it years ago, you know, um, mini bennies, uppers, uppers, anything to get you through the day, get the laundry done, get the chores done, um, you know, and um, so, but, you know, get my sons dressed and to their practice or little league practice or you know, pick them up on time or do all of that, you know, it's like, um, it's just like I always had something to metabolize and to um, keep me going, you know, to keep, it was, I believe that uh, the trauma that was unresolved as a kid, I was medicating, you know, that I was medicating and that when you have a, a parent that commits suicide, that's always an option. You know, that's like, that's like a little gnat buzzing around your face. Well, if it gets too bad, I can, you know, just, I can get out of here, just like my mom did, you know, I can get out of here. And so, you know, instead of killing yourself with, you know, um, pills or whatever uh, vehicle, uh, I slowly killed myself with drugs and alcohol, you know, but while maintaining uh, you know, my role as a mother and an apartment manager, painting apartments, showing apartments, taking rent. So there was all of that going on. It was a double life. It was a double life that was um, in conflict, you know, constant conflict, because it was not the life I intended to live. It's never what, who I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. When I was a kid, I didn't say, I'm going to grow up and, you know, do some meth you know, and to get through the day, you know. So, um, you know, that secret, you know, that because I was conditioned to keep secrets as a kid, 
I grew up keeping secrets. So back to what you were talking about, the book is like um, writing that for me when it was when I everything lined up, you know, and I I wrote it and I struggled writing it. I called on the universe, please help me write this, you know, because I can't do it. Write it through me, and I got the publisher. And then all of a sudden, I'm feeling incredible amounts of shame, mm-hmm. you know, the same shame I had when uh, people found out my mother was mentally ill. Um, but it was compiled. It was like it was like enormous. All of the shame that I never dealt with started coming up. I mean, I had dealt with a lot of my shame, but it was back. So I was surprised. And what happened as a result of writing the book with the intention of helping the girls that are incarcerated, helping mothers who are struggling, helping children that are struggling, with that intention of service became more became more powerful than my fear. And when the book came out, not immediately, but eventually, it didn't take long, the shame no longer owned me, if you know what I mean. The shame kept me in a box, kept me small not ruffling any feathers or not, you know, it's that part of me that wanted to to remain invisible, but the part of me that wants to make a difference became bigger and larger. Absolutely. When when we do share our stories in service, right, the shame tends to disappear. And that's what I'm hearing. And one of the things that you talk about is how do you go through that process, right? And for those listening that maybe are either in active addiction in that dual role as mom and in addiction, right? Whatever that is, alcohol, drugs, um, opioids, obviously on the rise still. Um, How do you start that process, right? I know that it started for you in county jail, (laughs) but you don't have to get to county jail, right? How do you start that process if someone out there is in the same place? Well, you know, it's the first key thing that happened for me because I was like, uh, you know, defiant, non-compliant, and self-reliant, you know, all of those things. But I had to ask for help. I couldn't, I couldn't do it alone. I could no longer do my life alone. You know, so I asked for help. I got help. I went to a place of women and children's um, uh, uh, center with my son, Ricky. My older son was in juvenile hall. So, in, again, the intergeneral, general, uh, intergenerational trauma is manifesting through my boys that I talk about in the book. I don't say that in the book, but I show that how, um, you know, history is once again repeating itself. And so, um, you know, of course, as a mother, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you know, for what I did. And I said, I'm sorry. But um, in hindsight, I can see that uh, living a life of value and living, um, making a living amends to my kids happened one day at a time. You know, and that happened by, um, you know, um, becoming self-supporting by getting a job, 
by showing them that, you know, I could too, I too can follow my dreams. You know, my biggest supporters in my writing, you know, have been my boys. Uh, they have been, you know, you know, touched by the fact that, you know, I told them I was going to write a book. And I went through a lot of the pages and chapters with my boys before it was published. And they were extremely supportive. But what message am I telling them? You know, I'm, I'm telling them that you can transform your life, mm. you know. And it's, this book is about redemption. It's about healing, you know, healing the family system. But I believe uh, that mothers have the power to do that, specifically mothers, women that stay grounded, that uh, for me, it means it meant then, and it still means, you know, staying connected, sharing my spirituality with my boys, you know, um, no longer swearing them into the secrecy. They know my secrets, you know. I don't, my, my parents are gone. I don't know. What happened to them? What happened to, you know, that caused this, my dad to be so unhappy that he had to, you know, damn near drink himself to death? When did my mother or why did my mother continue to have children when she was schizophrenic, mm. you know? So those questions and answers have gone to the grave with them. You know, I'm exposing myself on a level you know, to help people and possibly help my family as a result. And it's really interesting that, you know, my ex-husband, who I, who remarried, he remarried another woman, not the one I shot. I was going to say, I hope not the one you shot. <laughs> no, not, not the one I shot, no. Um, but I would have been okay with that eventually. Um, but um, so he married, so I would see him, you know, at, at um, family gatherings. And a few years ago, two years ago, I think it was on Thanksgiving, I told him, I'm writing a book and you're in it. And I said, it's, uh, it's an honest book, you know? And, um, you know, so um, I thought when the book came out that, you know, I changed some people's names, I changed his name. And uh, then fast forward when the book did come out, uh, a year later, I think, uh, approximately, he read it and he called me and I looked at my phone. Oh my God, he's calling me. He's going to, you know, what is this? What's going to happen? Is he going to give me shit or what? <laughs> and he goes, I just finished your book. He goes, I loved it. I want to read it again. You know, and it was like, oh my God, there, there you go. I can think that in my mind, this is going to cause havoc you know with his this relationship but i can't you know imagine the healing that takes place as a result of speaking my truth speaking my truth and, and i'm not saying that's going to happen for everyone but that certainly happened for me you know result of reading that book he ended up calling my two boys saying he apologized for not being there more for them so again, to the healing aspect of sharing stories, right? And the impact it can have. Yeah, yeah. For your sense, because I know having done work with women that are in recovery and do have children, oftentimes that's the first thing that comes to mind, right? Is 
What impact did this have on my kids? Even as much as when asking for help, I can't go to treatment for 30 days because of my kids, right? Who will be there for my kids? What would you say to women both in both of those, right? In both of those situations, ones that are skeptical to reach out for help in certain ways because they're thinking of their kids. And two, the women that are carrying the shame right now, right? Of even being in recovery, right? Because there are women in recovery in shame because of past interactions with their children and even the current situation with their children. What would you say to them? Well, you know, it's like we don't transcend humanity once we get sober, you know? It's like it's a process, you know? And if, as we hear, it's um, uh, progress, not perfection. So I had to learn how to go easy on myself and be gentle on myself. I mean, you know, as I wrote in the book, I would go to the market and have a panic attack at the beginning. It was hard to even get groceries because I was overwhelmed with making decisions. But it was, you know, it's just one painful foot in front of the other, you know, and trying to be gentle with yourself, you know, and that is changing for me. It was changing the dialogue, the self-defeating critic that was always going off in my head. I had to create new dialogue and I did little labels of everything is all right. And that became my mantra. Everything is all right. Everything is all right. Because I never felt it was all right growing up in my house. I never felt it was okay. You know, nobody told me, you are all right. So I started telling myself, everything is all right. And as a result, it started cultivating a voice within me that could hush the critics. When I heard the critics jumping off in my head, I just go, everything's all right. Every, I, and it didn't matter if I didn't believe it at first, because, you know, that book was empty. I didn't know how I was going to feed Ricky, you know, at the time. There were so many things. My son was in juvenile hall. I didn't feel like everything was all right, but it didn't matter. I said the mantra, and then it was like I was growing. It was a muscle, like going to the gym, picking up a weight, you know, and that muscle got stronger, and that voice became louder. And it's like something I've carried, you know, for 27 years that when I start getting in self-doubt or shame, I just have to, you know, it's self-soothing, something I never learned to do. And um, for the mothers that are out there struggling, like, how do I go to, you know, treatment? I'm helping one um, woman right now that um, her family member has um, a son that. And it appears that she's having problems. So they're doing an intervention, you know. And so, you know, what I would encourage someone to do, there are places you can go with your children, by the way, these days. Um, but it's, I think it's better if you're able to have somebody help you out and um, either do that or, you know, if you can't possibly uh, go into treatment, then just you know, there's virtual meetings, there's virtual support, you know, talk to a therapist, you know, um, you know, just talk to somebody. You know, I had a real resistance uh, with the 12-step 
approach at the beginning, you know, but I um, was out of ideas. You know, I, what I was doing obviously didn't work. So, you know, it was working for people that I saw people that had full, rich, creative lives. It was working for them. What are they doing? You know, what are they doing that is, that is making a difference? And so, you know, I, I, I just started asking questions and seeking support. Does that answer your question? Oh, absolutely. I think that you, when you brought up sort of that inner critic, right? I, I call it the inner roommate. Because I read, I don't know if you've read The Untethered Soul. I haven't. Oh, Wendy, you would love that book. Yes. I got to get it. I may have to send you a copy. But in in that book, um, he talks about your inner roommate and how your inner roommate's always talking and it's always negative, right? And I relate to that inner roommate or inner critic as as you referenced it. But... What's interesting is that inner, you said something to the effect of, I was never told everything was okay. It was almost even a step further, right? You were told that everything wasn't okay. And you were shown too, that everything wasn't okay. And I think, and I don't want to quote it wrong, so correct me if I do, but there is a point where your mother says to you, you're bad or some version of that in the book, right? So the dialogue sounds like going back to the intergenerational part. You were brought up thinking everything is wrong, everything is not okay, and you're not okay. Yeah, I mean, yes, and she did, and I heard many times growing up that you're bad, you're bad, Mm -hmm. you know. I also, when I had a feeling or, um, you know, was it was dismissed, like, you know, I'm scared. Well, there's nothing to be scared of, you know, or, you know, uh, just things, any of my feelings were never validated. It's, you know, that's why I think it's so important to, to validate our kids' feelings, to hear them, you know, instead of dismiss it. Because then you feel like you're being gaslighted, you know. And, um, you know, it's like you, you don't trust yourself. You don't have that inner trust, that inner knowing, that inner GPS that I've, I've learned to tap into, which guided me to writing the book. You know, I was going, I was being guided to do this. So, um, you know, if that, if I'm self in self doubt and questioning every move because of my, my um, conditioning and, you know, the first seven years of my um, life were, my mother killed herself when I was seven, were when the, is the developmental stages of a child, mm-hmm. when the architect is being put up, you know, and it's like the neural pathways, you know, and if you're on fight, flight, freeze, or fold constantly, constantly, then um, you're taking that into the world, and that's extremely hard on the body, extremely, you know, and and in the book, I talk about, you know, dealing with how I dealt with trauma, you know, and there's, uh, thankfully, today, there's a, there's a conversation around trauma. When I was growing up, the only people that suffered PTSD were the guys coming back from Vietnam, you know. So, um, you know, I like I said at the beginning that I work with adolescents, a lot of them have trauma and uh, we're able to offer support and uh, the kind of 
you know, first, first off, we create a space where they feel safe enough to talk about it, you know, and it's it just, I mean, it's interesting that uh, what we do is we give the family their own therapist, and we give the kiddo their therapist. So they're, so they, they have a sense of safety Well, the kid is our, is our client is our, you know, first priority because we're, we want to make them feel safe. You know, because obviously they're acting out something that that needs support. So I never got that. You know, I never ever got that. And um, you know, it's no wonder I questioned, you know, every decision I made when I first got sober. Or, um, you know, but and initially when I first got when I first got sober, I did enlist a lot of people's support sometimes too much so well what do you think what do you think i should do what do you think i should do until um you know i like what do i do you know um but um and but as as i as i started to demonstrate that hey i can show up for a job oh hey i can pay the rent oh hey i'm paying the bills i'm taking care of the kids i'm you know my son uh you know, it, it, it just got out of juvenile hall. And, I, you know, that was really difficult, healing those wounds, you know, which we're still doing t- today, you know. I was going to ask you, do you feel like those wounds are healed? And I know it's a process and it has been, but. Well, um, I have really incredible relationships with my sons today. Um I work for um, Have a Soul, my son's, my youngest son's nonprofit, which, um, you know, gives out shoes to those um, at-risk youth and um, homeless people. So I work with them, and we're very close. He came over yesterday, and we had lunch together. On his, I, didn't, I didn't call him. I didn't promote it. He just did it. He wanted to do, spend some time with me. And then my older son, um, you know, recently, he... Um, got sick in December with um, COVID and secondary conditions and just had surgery this week. But, you know, um, I couldn't physically be there with him at the hospital because, you know, he went in three times. It was very life-threatening. And um, there was a part of me that was just um, so anguished just because as a mother, I wanted to be by his side. I wanted to be in the hospital room. I wanted to advocate for him. But, um I'm at a point now where I've done a lot of advocating for um, clients and for substance abuse and and mental health that I was able to advocate for him, calling the hospital, talking to the charge nurse, talking to his nurse, uh, you know, what's going on, what, you know, and I was able to be there for him in a way that was very healing to me and to him. So we've been FaceTiming, you know, much more now he you know really appreciated how i was able to show up from him even from a distance Mm -hmm. even though i wanted to be there in person um and i couldn't be but so you know it's it's just like these opportunities you know that sometimes they don't they present themselves and you'd go oh my god why is this happening you know but it's like another opportunity to heal, heal the rift, the relationship.
mm-hmm. you know, because my older son is married and with his own kids. So he's much more independent than my younger son has been. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I have great relationships with them. And that's the result of me as a mother wanting to heal that more than anything else. That was my, like, that's the reason, you know, I, I mean, it's like one of the reasons why um, I wanted to get sober in the first place. Can I tell you what I hear, Wendy? I hear authentic. I hear that you have an authentic relationship with them, right? And a safe relationship that they know that they can come to you, right? And I, I also wonder if the sharing of the story took away some shame for them, right? If, if they did struggle with any. Um, do you feel like there was some release of shame for them by having the story shared? Um, I think uh, it, they're proud of their mom. I think they're proud of their mom. I don't know that they would claim any shame around i don't know they're boys yeah and you know they're um brothers yeah yeah uh that uh, there's no shame as far as i know i i just know that there's a, a, they're very proud of me for doing it and going for my dream yeah. you know that is a message i want to give my sons and my grandkids you know who were all there at my book launch party, you know, my grandkids and my kids, you know, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. No, and that is truly what life is about is connection and showing up. And I know you talked about making amends, right? Going back and how that doesn't happen all at once. I think it never ends, right? It's showing up for all of these moments consistently, continually, that feels like the amends to me. Yeah, I, you know, incrementally did damage with my using, and I'm incrementally, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, healing the relationships, you know, and it's like, um, in spite of what it may look like on paper, because if anybody would have looked at my life when I was getting out of county jail, and living in a, a, a transitional living with my youngest son, an older son, they would have seen it as a, you know, what a tragedy, you know, waste, you know, it was on welfare and food stamps. Of course, you, they couldn't fast forward, you know, and life is not a, a, a still picture of one um, still in your life. It's like it's a moving picture. And, um, you know, they could not, I could not have even imagined that I would do the work that I do, you know, and have been doing for over 20 years with addicts and people suffering from mental health. I could not imagine that I would restore the relationships with my family. I could not imagine I would write a book or work on the second book, you know, that's about my adolescence. I, I could not have imagined because my bandwidth for life experience was so narrow. Mm, absolutely. Tell us what is ahead for you, I know you mentioned the second book. But the, yes, the second book is um, is about my adolescence. I don't, you know, because like um, I think that teens really don't have um, a lot of material out there of you know people. I mean, they're struggling with different uh, like social media, 
and um, internet is a lot different than it was back when I was growing up, but the emotional thread is still the same. So I'm writing a book about uh, becoming a ward of the court, you know, and um, going through juvenile hall and foster homes. And um, I want to, yeah, I want to reach kids that are, that are struggling. And so I found a way through, um, you know, language or through writing to reach more people, you know. So um, that's coming up for me. It's COVID has um, also been a blessing because I've really been locked down like so many other people, but writing while I'm locked down. Yeah, it's kind of contained here. I don't know uh, when I'll physically be going back. I'm doing everything virtually these days, like so many people. Mm-hmm. But it's it's you know it's like I feel blessed because uh, you know I, it was a bit bit of a learning curve when we first got locked down, but I was able to pick up on uh, how to do um, events and uh, for my work and things like that. Yeah, it's, I think it's been a learning curve for a lot of people. Absolutely, Wendy. If people want to find the book, um, I, we're going to do a giveaway. And I'm going to promote it. I'm going to, we're going to get a copy and give it away for anyone that's interested. Um, so look at our Instagram at WellSeekers. Um, we'll have a giveaway in conjunction with this episode. But for people that want the book, where can they find it? Well, it's on Adam, um, Amazon, Motherload, L-O-A-D. And then I do have a, web, a website. Um, I think you're going to post yeah, uh, we'll have all of these links, but just okay. in case someone's listening. So Amazon has everything and Wendy's book. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we hope that it will soon have my next book. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be praying. <laughs> Thank you. I already have a publisher, so that's oh, that's yeah. a big one. So that's amazing. It truly yeah. is. Yeah. Wendy, thank you for sharing your story, not only here, but in writing, because I truly believe that it is through conversation that change happens and that healing comes. Um, And that, like you said, sharing our stories takes away the shame. It just does for ourselves and for the person that's receiving the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been such a pleasure. Um, we'll see you soon. <laughs> yes. right, we'll be right back on Wealth Seekers. After a long day, taking time to love yourself and your friends and your family more well can be a challenge. We're so burnt out and exhausted and stressed from working so hard during the day, we forget to love the people and the places and the things that are important to us. Well, Lucia Knight is here to help. We're gonna be a retreat and a treat for your day. A place to laugh, to connect, and to learn to love yourself and others more well. We're gonna talk about relationships, ways to sleep better. We'll have expert guests, personal stories, maybe even a musical guest or two. We'll share behind the scenes into my own life as well, my friends, my family, and of course, my relationships. So close the door on your day and light up your night with Lucia at night. Also, make sure to check out more at wellseekers.com for simple and real-life ways to bring wellness home. I'll see you tonight on Lucia at Night. Thanks for being part of the Seekerhood. We couldn't do this without you. Now, 
back to the show. Welcome back to Well Seekers, and thanks so much again to Wendy Adamson for sharing her powerful story and helping us shatter some shame today. Since we usually end each episode of Well Seekers with Lucia's List, I thought that at first I was going to do books, but if you listen to episode one, we talked about specifically shame shattering stories. Motherload was on the list. So if you go back to Lucia's list from episode one, that was one of the things we talked about shame shattering stories around addiction. So check out that list of my top five books if you haven't. For today's Lucia's list, I wanted to talk about top three things you can do to start shattering shame. Based upon some of those theories that we talked about in shame resiliency theories, it's all about connecting to um, what's causing you shame and then also letting some stories in from other people to help offer you empathy that you're not alone in some of the things that may have happened. Some of the things that Wendy and I talked about was trauma and how trauma can lead to a lot of shame. So for Lucia's list, I'm going to give you my top three ways to start shattering shame today. Number one. There's a book called Shatter, Shame, and Shine. Um, it's by Mary Alice Coleman. It's about transformational information and guidance specifically for women silently struggling with their issues of childhood abuse, pain, and trauma. Um, and even for those that think they're not, which I love the name of that title. Um, so I would suggest checking out this book. We'll put a link below. Um, it really walks you through your own personal story, talking about what is the foundation of you, um, how to build you as a person, who you really are, the workings of awareness, a new blueprint, a new belief for you. So it's really, this is your own personal roadmap helps get you there. Number two, we're working from the top <laughs> one through three. I know sometimes I go backwards. Um, number two, uh, my second item on Lucia's list this week is affirmation. So while you're on this journey, looking into your shame, there's something that's called shame, reframing your shame affirmations. We put three of them on our Instagram this week. Um, they're going to be there tomorrow. So I encourage you to look at those. You can also just do a, a Google search for shame busting affirmations and you'll get a whole list. Otherwise, if you Follow us on Instagram at Wellseekers. You can also follow me at Lucia Naz, um, and I'll have them too. But three shame-busting affirmations, they'll be there tomorrow. But starting to incorporate some of these affirmations into your daily morning ritual, nighttime ritual, to start reframing some of those bad stories your mind's told you about you. And then the last thing on Lucia's list, number three, is to seek out some of that empathy, whether it's sharing and hearing stories with people you trust and feel close to, or to start reading books like Wendy's or going back to Lucia's list from our first time where we listed five other books of stories pertaining to addiction. So reading these books and really starting to see that you're not alone. So making connections either to people's stories and that they've written or making connections to people's story in your own personal life that you really trust. Those are my top three suggestions this week on how to start shattering shame in your own life. We are so honored that you have been here with us today, listening to the story. We hope that these stories and solutions help guide you on your road to rising, to coming back because you deserve it. You are enough. And if you haven't started, it's never too late, never, ever too late to start again, to rise, to come back and to start shedding some of that shame and really stepping into who you truly are. 
from all of us here at Well Seekers, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you'll stay connected with us online at Well Seekers at Lucia Naz and of course our relationship show at Lucia at Night. We will be back in two weeks, actually talking about policy, how you can get involved in changing um, some of the some of the systems that have been created that stop people from getting help. So make sure you stick with us for that. Until then, thanks for being a part of our family. Thanks for being a part of our journey and letting us be a part of yours. We'll talk to you soon. I'm Well Seekers. How would you like to join the conversation? Email us anytime at hello at wellseekers.com.